Let us pray. Our precious Father wants to thank you again for the privilege we have to gather this evening to study the scriptures, to study your word. We trust you that you will teach us, that you will help us to understand the wisdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our topic is guidance of the Holy Spirit, stroke dash, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Guidance of the Holy Spirit, dash, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, part two. We started this last week. So, last week we were discussing about guidance through our conscience. And we said that the only conscience good for guidance is the conscience of a Christian living in the light living in the new life, the spirit life, not a carnal Christian, because the conscience of a carnal Christian will accommodate just anything, and will justify it. But the spirit Christian, the spirit Christian, the spirit Christian, the spirit Christian, the Christian that lives the new life, controlled by the love of God, the nature of God, the love of God, Paul said we are controlled by that love. If that love is controlling a Christian, then his conscience is good enough. <clears throat> and then we talked about um, um, the motive. You know, a good conscience is a conscience that, like we said, is easily entreated, is easily corrected, easily forgives, you know, is, is meek, uh, is humble. That's a conscience that is good. But when this, when this stubborn conscience, conscience, conscience that will not listen to anybody, will not listen to God, it's not good enough. But the second thing is that we need to check our motives because our motives can corrupt our conscience. If we have very bad motive for doing things, our conscience is evil and it's not good enough. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 1, 3. It said, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, with pure conscience, with pure conscience, with pure conscience. A good conscience with very good motives produces pure conscience. First Timothy 3.9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. That is living the Christian life guided by a pure and sincere conscience. Motive, motive. Conscience nurtured by the truth. First Timothy 4, 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith. Nourished in the word of faith. Nourished in the words of faith and of a good doctrine, which you will carefully, which you have carefully followed. When a Christian is nourished in the word of faith, word of faith, and good doctrine, then it produces good motive and good conscience. And then we, we need to look at um, this consequence of not walking in proper conscience. It's First Timothy 1.19. First Timothy 1.19. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away. Some have put it away concerning faith, have made their faith shipwreck. They've shipwrecked their faith. 
because they have put away good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. Which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck of their faith. Ruin their Christian life. Because they become incorrigible, become you know, unteachable, stubborn, and all sorts of things. So they wreck their Christian life. We need to make sure that we work with good motives in life, that we have good conscience in life, and that we are humble enough to take correction, humble enough to be corrected, humble enough to follow instructions. Now, I want us to do a conscience checklist. A conscience checklist. First, Thessalonians 2, 3 to 7. For our, our appeal in preaching not originate from delusion. <clears throat> Does not originate from delusion. That is self-deceit or error or impure purpose or motive. Nor in fraud or deceit. So, we are in living our Christian lives. Our motive must not come from delusion or error or impure purpose or motive, nor in fraud or deceit. Number verse four. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the glad tidings of the gospel, so we speak not to please men. This is, motive, this is conscience checklist. If my motive is based on impure purpose, fraud, deceit, error, delusion, that's bad. That's the kind of conscience that will wreck somebody's faith. Then he says it should not be based on seeking to please men, but to please God. But to please God who tests our heart. So we speak not to please men. Not to please, whether they are friends or not, we should say the truth in love. We owe it to ourselves to be people who, can, who are faithful to the word of God. We speak it, we act it. So he says, we should not be speaking to please men. Then you have people you favor who are your friends and people you don't favor. People you won't tell the truth, you just hide it from them. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to, because maybe there's something you're benefiting from them, nobody knows. You don't want to rock the boat. So if you speak to please men, you are not pleasing God. And Galatia 1.10 says that if we, are, if we are living to please men, we cannot serve God. It's not possible. So a conscience that, is, that pleases men is no good. It's no good at all. He says, but we speak to please God, who tests our heart, expecting them to be approved by him. Now. So as you well know, we never resorted either to words, listen to this. We never resorted either to words of flattery or to any cloak to conceal greedy motives. We didn't conceal greedy motives using flattery. We didn't do that. Or any cloak at all to conceal a motive that, a motive that is purely greedy. Or Pretext for gain. This is conscience checklist. If what I'm doing is, people can think, oh, he's a wonderful man, but behind it is cloak to conceal greed and pretext for personal gain. Either personal praise, people praise me, or financial gain, or advantage in one way or the other. 
Paul said, God is our witness. Nor did we seek to extract praise and honor and glory from men. He said, this is conscience checklist. It's my motive to extract praise, honor, or glory from me, either from you or from anyone else. Now, let's go to the next thing that we wanted to talk about. That is the, the, the other supernatural ways that God guides us as the Holy Spirit manifests through a believer to bring a blessing upon people. We say that these manifestations of the Holy Spirit is not exclusively for guidance. It's to bring blessing upon people. It can bring guidance. It can bring healing. It can bring so many things upon people. It's what the Holy Spirit does to bring blessing upon either a, a group of people or an individual or a family. They are supernatural and also spectacular, but they are not normal day-to-day things that happen. You don't see it happen in your life every day, every moment, every minute. It doesn't happen like that. And for guidance, they are not your day-to-day way of guiding you. Like I said before, if you, if you expect to have dream in the market when you want to decide something, it's not coming there. Or when you are driving, you're not going to sleep off so that you get, you get guidance first so you cannot do what you need to do. No, it's not going to happen like that. These things happen, but they are not the normal, regular way. If it does happen, that God will guide a Christian. We already mentioned the way that God will guide a Christian. But God's guidance can come by the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is not a gift you carry home that you keep and use when you like. It's a gift because the Holy Spirit chose to use you. He is the one using you. It's not something, you, you don't carry him home and they be using him like you use your khaki. No, 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 no. It's a gift because it's, it's the choice of grace. You didn't choose it. He chose it to use you to do that. So it's called the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, which means the activities or actions of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we said that there is a reason why we do not see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the glory of God in these days and age. Not much of it is seen. The, one of the reasons is that we're ignorant of them and have no interest in being used for those purposes. We think it's only the pastor's responsibility. It's the pastor, a so-called man of God. They are the ones. It's not true. Absolutely not true. And then because we think like that, we have no interest in that. And, and what God will use you to do is not doing. And people that would have blessed through that are not getting it. But if we understand what this thing is, understand who it is for, then we yield ourselves to it. Actually, Paul said we should seek it. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I will not have you ignorant. So we, we shouldn't be ignorant of them. We should not be ignorant of them. Then 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 in the same chapter. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Each one, every Christian, each one. It didn't say it's given to pastors. It didn't say it's given to evangelists. It didn't say it's given to apostles. Each one, each one, every Christian born again, every Christian born again should expect this thing if you know how it works, which I'm going to explain further, how it works and when it comes. 
So it's not for pastors alone. No, it's not for pastors alone. Now, the other thing that hinders the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian or in the congregation is lack of spiritual growth. It hinders our being able to move in the Spirit. If we grow spiritually, we'll be more sensitive to the things of the Spirit. If we grow spiritually, then we'll be more sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. We understand him more. We'll be skillful in the use of the word. We know what he's doing. We, we discern him easily. If we are intimate with him, if we uh, grow spiritually and then develop our spirit man, develop the, make, make the eternal life I receive dominant factor in our lives. If we do that, then we'll be, we'll be more sensitive to the things of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, carnal life will hinder the Christian and blind him to spiritual realities. And what first carnality is ignorance and wrong believing. Wrong believing and ignorance. Fool's carnality. Second Timothy 2.21 If you keep yourself pure, you will be a, a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Now, this, this verse is not talking about, about your, you, your character as such. Because, you see, if the master is going to use you for every good work, then it is not you that is going to produce that every good work. It's the master. It's the master. But what, why is he saying we should keep ourselves pure? Well, you need to go to the verses before and see what it's really referencing to. In the verses before, in verse 18, you will see what it's referenced to when it's talking about purity. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. See what destroyed these people's faith? Wrong doctrine. 19. But God's truth stands firm, like a foundation stone. With this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. What is calling evil? Is this wrong doctrine that takes that destroys people's faith that makes them believe wrongly? Wrongly, it destroys people's faith. So that's what the scripture, the Holy Spirit is saying. We should purge ourselves of wrong doctrines. We should purge ourselves of this thing that takes away people from the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We should purge ourselves. When we purge ourselves of that, then he said, then the Lord will now use us. To produce good works, including character and everything. Good works. Good works. Good works. But not if we are believing wrongly and we don't agree with the Lord because he can't change this world because of what I'm believing. If I'm believing wrongly, I can't be in agreement with him. So he cannot produce the good works in my life. So it is to pure purge myself of wrong doctrines. Falsehood. The things that the devil plants in the life of people. So when we do that, then we become people that, that the Lord, the master will use to produce uh, good works. Now, we need to train ourselves in the things of the spirit. So we give ourselves more time to study scriptures and prayers. And listen to me here. The reason is not so that you become more religious. That's not the purpose. You can be very religious and have the wrong doctrine. You, are you going to compete with the Pharisees? Someone, his name was Zelotus. Zeal was his name. That's not what this, this is all about. 
It is not about becoming more religious. It's about studying the scriptures, praying, focusing on rightly dividing the word. Focusing on rightly dividing the word so that you don't fall victim to this thing that took them away from the faith. So that you are sound in faith. You believe correctly. You believe correctly. Not to be more religious, like I said, but to have more revelation of the truth in Christ so that you are sound in faith and to believe correctly. Because if you believe correctly, it produces the work. Produces the work. Produces the spiritual work. It produces the spirit life. If you believe correctly, for a man thinks in his heart, so he will turn out to be. So it's important that we know that the, what I'm talking about and focusing on is not be, being more religious and all over the town and everything. No. It's to study and pray so that you have revelation from the Holy Spirit of the truth. So you walk in the light, not in darkness. And then in so doing, then the master can now produce good works through you. Produce this mature type of Christian life, the spirit life, through you. Now, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth. That's why we study. So that we're not ashamed, rightly dividing uh, the word of the truth. Titus 2.2 that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith. Sound in faith. Sound in faith. That we should be sound in faith. Now, there are false doctrines called so-called, so-called revelation of knowledge out there. That's why you must be sound in faith. Because there are false doctrines. They, they, they call it revelation. But it's not. Look at what, what Paul wrote to Timothy. First Timothy 6 verse 20. I'm reading AMPC. First Timothy 6 verse 20. O Timothy, guard and keep the deposit entrusted to you. Turn away from the irreverent babble and godless chatter with the vain and empty and worldly phrases and the subtilities, sub, 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 subtilities, yes, and the contradictions in what is falsely called knowledge. Falsely called knowledge and spiritual illumination. It is not truth. But they falsely claim it is knowledge and spiritual illumination. The devil is behind all of this. So you need to study. So you are not ashamed. So you don't fall prey to this thing. So you know, the Bible says when you mature, then you can distinguish the, what is right from what is wrong. Now, these three major areas that we must understand, be very well grounded in them. If we miss any one of them, it will hinder us being the best that God wants us to be. Actually, if you miss the first one, they are not even a Christian. And that is salvation by faith in Christ alone. Oh, you say, Pastor, we know that. Give me a break. Just give me a break. Because I'm telling you, many people are not saved who troop around going to churches. Because they don't understand it. When you say, are you saved? He said, I go to, I go to first one. Or I go to redeemed. I go to this. I go. Is that what salvation? Is that salvation? Devils go to church. Is that salvation? When, when the children of God died in the book of Job, the devil came right there. 
If you came right there, he goes to church. This is a mixture of tear and wheat. So you don't tell me I go to this church and that's, that's, which means you are not saved. You don't know what you're talking about. And many still don't understand it. Are you saved? You say, yeah, I've stopped doing everything I used to do. It's not true. You're not saved. You're not saved. So we must go back to it and make sure you're saved because if you are not and you die from this world and you didn't get saved, you're not making heaven. You are not making heaven. So we go back there. We must understand salvation and make sure that you are saved in your quiet place. After hearing this, make sure you just did it right. If you didn't do it right, you are not a Christian. There is no spiritual growth. You don't even have the spirit of God in. So what are we developing? So 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world. I just the writer. There is only one person that brought mediation between you and God. Not you. You are not that one person. It's not what you did. It's not what you did. He gave his life. He gave his life to purchase freedom from Satan, from sin, from judgment, to reconcile us to God. He gave his life. That's what brought it about. So that's why salvation is by faith in what Christ did alone. Acts 4, 11. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you, you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. He is the cornerstone that carries your spiritual life. If you remove him, you crash. Faith in Christ alone is what gives salvation. Redemption is by his blood, not by what I did or what you did or your confession of your sins. Those things don't bring you redemption. But that's what people tell people to do. Look at uh, Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Justified by his blood. He gave his life by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath, to, the wrath through him. Through him. By his blood. In Colossians 1.14. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. There is nothing that gives you forgiveness of sins. Nothing that gives you redemption. Except the blood of Jesus. Except the blood of Jesus. And so, if you want to receive redemption, you put your faith in Christ who gave his life for you. you. Nothing we did brought us redemption. Nothing. Now, let me go back to the story of Zacchaeus because that's what they used to preach to confuse people. Bringing salvation by works. It says, and then we look at Romans 10, 9, before we go to Zacchaeus, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It didn't say if you confess your sins. It didn't say that. Confess the Lord Jesus. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. It didn't say confess your sins. People do this. And many people are not saved because that's what they told them to do. Oh, they refer to uh, uh, Zacchaeus. Let's look at Zacchaeus. Look, 
Luke 19, 19, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. Listen to why Jesus said that. For as much as he's also a son of Abraham, he's already a son of Abraham. He's under the Abrahamic covenant, the old covenant, that Jesus said, I was sent to the Lordship of Israel to bring them back under the law. And that's why he said, I'm going to pay back, um, I'm going to give them back um, several food, because for food, that's what the law prescribed. That's what the law prescribed at the time. So Jesus is saying, yes, he's come back. He said, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. About this time, no Gentile was a son of Abraham. Not you, not me. None of, none of us. And so Jesus wasn't talking of, wasn't talking of salvation in the sense of the New Testament salvation. Remember that John the Baptist was baptizing them. They, are, they were confessing their sins. Because it was works. Jesus hadn't shed his blood. Redemption is by his blood. The blood has not been shed. So are you going to say that somebody who has no redemption, whose sins have not been washed away, only covered, is redeemed without the cross? Is that the New Testament Bible people preach? Jesus said, says, the Bible says he went to heaven with his blood to obtain an eternal eternal redemption for us. He hasn't even died. He hasn't even resurrected. He hasn't even gone to heaven with his blood. To the altar, the real altar, not made with man, not made with human hand, to obtain eternal, to present it before God as, as the Lamb of God. He was the high priest that presented his blood before God. He was the high priest. He was the Lamb. He hasn't done it. And you say somebody is saved and pastors preach this in churches? Let me make it clear. There's only one sin that the whole world is guilty of. And that's the sin of rejecting Jesus. The Bible says if you reject him, you are condemned already. But if you accept him, you are no more condemned. Look at scripture now, John 16, 8. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. He didn't say sins. One sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9. Of sin because they believe not on me. They don't receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If they don't, they are done. Finished. Done. There is no, there is no character training. There is no being good. No being good that will give you eternal life. Eternal life is totally different from the, the human life of your parents trained you to be good. They are the same thing. People don't understand scripture. The Bible said it is that sin of rejecting Christ that the world will be condemned of. And if anywhere you see the Bible say repent and believe the gospel, it's talking about repent from rejecting Christ. That is one sin the Holy Spirit says, I am convicting the world of. Because if you believe in him, and we say John 3, 16 now, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's all. If they believe in me, you, you shall not perish, you have eternal life. But if you don't, you perish. That's one sin. And then you talk of righteousness because he says, 
He said, uh, because they believe that they are staying, of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. For sure. For sure. Yes. Because the Bible says he went to the real altar in heaven, not made by human hand, with his blood presented it there to obtain eternal redemption for us. That sacrifice was made here, but he took his blood to heaven where it was sealed. And so we became righteous. Those who believe in Christ receive the gift of righteousness because of his blood. Yep. And then he's talking that the, the, the God of this world has been joyed because he dealt with the devil publicly, destroyed him. So we are free now. We, are, we, are, we, 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 have, we, we can't fear the devil no more. 2 Corinthians 5.19 To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, not imputing their trespasses unto them, not impu- to impute is to credit them with what they've done, and had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, when we are, now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for, for he had made him to be seen for us, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Reconciliation. He said, tell them to come. He has been made to be seen for the whole world, so that if we receive them, we become righteous. We accepted our sins are washed away. Our sins are washed away. So how do we get born again? John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. That's all. You receive him, you believe in his name. That is your Lord and Savior. You're good. Verse 13. Which were born not of the not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And it's not by works for God's sake. It's not by works of men. Ephesians 2 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. Anything presented to you that is not grace is not salvation. It's false doctrine. The scripture made it clear. It's by grace. Grace is what you don't merit, it's what you don't do. You can't say, I did this to be saved. You just accepted what God gave you. That's what grace does. You are saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. So in the Old Testament, they were confessing their sins at the baptism of John because Christ has not offered the perfect sacrifice. The sins were being covered by those by imperfect sacrifice. But the blood of Jesus washes away the sins of mankind. So they were confessing that. They were doing that. Because they were walking by works. It was under the law. Under the law. But in the New Testament now, we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we get saved. His blood, he already shed his blood for us. There's nothing you can do. It's already shed. You just come and accept it. And then it will work for you. Now, the second thing that we must understand, if we really want to grow spiritually, is understand what eternal life means. We must understand what we received when we came to Christ. If you don't know what you have, you can't use it. You cannot use it. So we received eternal life. And Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight a good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold on eternal life, Timothy. Then he wrote it again, 
First Timothy 6.19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The Christians should lay hold on eternal life, brethren. On eternal life. There is no other thing that will give you eternal life except Christ Jesus himself. That is his life. That is the life of God. That is the purest life. No matter how you train your children, no matter how you tell people to do good and do good, it's wonderful, but it cannot compare with the life of Jesus. No law will make you like that. Nothing will make a human being as pure, as good as the life of Christ himself. Nothing. That's why we're not under the law. Because the law can produce life. Can produce this quality of life that Jesus gave us. Cannot produce it. Galatians 3.21 is, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law which could have given life, none. Truly righteousness could have been by the law. We say there's no law given that will produce eternal life. The life of God. Brethren, do you know anything purer than the life of God? Oh, you say I'm a good person. Awesome. It's wonderful. Is that as pure as God's goodness? Is that as good as God's goodness? His life that is imparted into you. When you came to Christ, you received him. You say, I've come that you have this life. There is no life you, can, you produce that compares with the life that Jesus has that is imparting into you. Remember that there's no life, life holier than that. No life better than that. No performance better than that. Nothing can make a man live this life except Jesus that is in him. This life moves a man from darkness to light. Moves a man from death to life. Moves a man from being a child of the devil to a child of God. He changes man spiritually like nothing else. This eternal life we receive. No law can make it happen. It's the life of God and it's the light of man. It's the light. Jesus, I'm the light. As long as I'm this world, I'm the light of, of, I'm the, light of the world. And if he lives in you, he becomes the light. The light, which means darkness is disappeared. You have a life of light. Look at, look at John 1, 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Of men. That was the true light, which lighted every man that comes into this world. That life, that life when it begins to walk in you, lightens your life. It becomes a shining. That's why the scripture said, let your light so shine. It becomes a shining example. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It begins to lighten, throw out the light, throw out the life. And the world sees, because the whole world is in darkness. That's what we received, eternal life. The life of God. Transformed us from being slaves to being free. Transformed us from being child of the devil to being child of God. Transformed us, transformed us from being controlled by sin to having the nature of righteousness, the nature of God. We now become sons of God. Moved us, moved us from, from, from downhill to sit with kings because we are children of God. We are kings and princesses ourselves. Seated with him. That's what eternal life does. But if you don't know that you have it, you, you think you are just a Christian going to church and then trying to be good. I said it, no matter how good you try, it can't compare with the goodness of Jesus he gave you. 
It can't compare with his life. Nothing compares with that eternal life we have. And that is the thing that lights my life. That you shine out. That you should shine out like torch. So people see it. But if I don't know I have it, I won't know how to walk in it. And you should simply walk in it by faith. By acknowledging that you have it. Acknowledging that Christ is in you. The hope of glory. Your spirit is, is, is connected to him. In, 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 uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. It is that spirit of Christ in you that shines because the light of every man lightens you and you follow it, you walk in the light. If you don't follow eternal life, you walk in darkness. So we should understand what Christ gave us, understand the eternal life. And thirdly, we need to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit very, very well. Now, like I'm saying, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the spirit within. The spirit within is what shines outside that produces the fruits of the spirit. Christ within you. The spirit of Christ within you. And it produces this life through your spirit. It's not the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to, to live your life with. It's you that should, so that you are responsible for what you do. You can hinder it or you can allow it to, to shine through you. So it is, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for living the Christian life. It is not. It is the spirit within that produces the life, the eternal life you see outside. It's not the spirit upon. Look at what uh, Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 14. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Christ might be made manifest in our body. It's made manifest in my life, in my body, in my body. Verse 11, for, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Christ's sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. It, it, the life of Christ is made manifest in my life. It's not the, the Holy Spirit that, that lives the life for me. I'm the one. I'm the one. Paul said, this is what I do so that I, I die daily. I, I, I yield to him. Death works in me so that his life, I'm not competing. I'm yielded to him. So his life is showing forth to me. Remember why the branches, no? the fruit is on the branch, not the vine, not the Holy Spirit that bears. You bear, it's called the, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible. They call it fruit of the Holy Spirit. They, they use capital S. To write that spirit. No. It's the spirit of human, the fruit of the human spirit. The new life. The new man. The new man. This is his life. This is his character he received from the new life he has. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is because of the life within. Because of the eternal life that we have received. And so the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8 it's for Christians only, for disciples only. It's not for everybody. Acts 1 8, but you shall receive, shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. After the Holy Spirit is come upon you. What you receive is power, not life. He didn't say you receive life. You receive life when you receive Christ. The Spirit upon gives you power, not life. You shall receive power, power, power. Not life. Jesus said, I come that you have life. 
The Holy Spirit comes that you have power. The Spirit in you is the Spirit of Christ, also called the Holy Spirit, but it comes within you that you have life. But the Holy Spirit came that you have power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. So that we go into service, empowers us for service to preach the gospel, to produce evidence that Jesus is alive. Acts 2 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them clothing tongues like as of fire. And they sat upon, not inside, they sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit now gave them utterance. Now, the Holy Spirit was not sent to the world. Jesus was sent to the world to give the world eternal life. The Holy Spirit was sent to the church to empower the church to be witnesses. Somebody who is not born again cannot be a witness for Jesus now. So the power is not for him. It's not for him. So in John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it seeth him not. They are dead in sin and trespasses. Neither knoweth him. But you know him. He dwelleth in you already, so you can receive him and shall be in you. So he dwelleth in you already because you are born again. You, so you can now receive the spirit of truth that is coming upon you. Upon you as a disciple. Acts 19 verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Finding certain disciples. These are disciples already. They have received the Spirit in them. Verse 2. He also said unto them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They have believed. They have believed. They are not non-Christians. And he's asking them, since you have believed now, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as had whether there be any Holy Spirit. But you know what happened now? He now laid down hands on them and they, they received the Holy Spirit. So it is to anoint us for service of the kingdom, not for life. Acts 1.8 For you shall receive power we read it, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then Acts 4.31 and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. See what it does? With boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. And neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. And they had all things in common. This character is because of the life in them. Because of the life in them. Remember, they were, they were in the upper house. They were one, in one accord. They, they were in one accord and unity. They haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit. But they were with one accord and, you know, in the upper room. So now when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they started to speak boldly. And verse 33. And with great power. See what that's what it does. Great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. 
That's what the Spirit does. So it's important, and we must not minimize the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Immediately somebody receives Jesus, the next thing is he must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he's empowered to be a witness of Christ. And our Lord Jesus was also baptized, we know that, in the Holy Spirit, because when he came here, he came here as a man. Mark 1, 10, and said we're coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so what did the Spirit of descending upon him do? That was when he started his ministry. When he got baptized. In Luke 4.18, he says, The ministry of the, the, the Spirit of the Lord is now upon me. The Spirit upon. It's not the Spirit within. The Spirit upon me. Because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He anoints us to do the same. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, a recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's upon me. So he has been empowered. He says, sent me, he has anointed me to do this and do this and do this. So when you receive it, you've been anointed to do exactly what Jesus did here. Exactly. Preach the gospel, heal the sick. You've been anointed to do the same thing. So the manifestations of the Holy Spirit start when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's where I'm heading. When it comes upon you, that's when it starts. Because the scripture says so. Look at Acts 1, 2, 1 to 12. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of, the, as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. They were not doing this until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then they began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit now gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone had them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it? that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. Then started to mention then there were Persians, there were Medes, there were Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, adjoining Syria, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Christians, Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexing to one another. Whatever could this mean? That's what the Holy Spirit does. It produces signs and wonders. It produces signs and wonders. These people were not doing this until he came upon them. And then they began to, they began to speak in diverse tongues. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. When it comes upon you, you begin to manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit like they did. And you begin to speak in tongues as he gives you utterance. Now, 
Peter explained it, that this comes when the Holy Spirit is at poured, not before. Acts 2, 14 to 18. But, but Peter, standing up with the elevens, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and, and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says, the, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on, not in, on, all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall now prophesy because of that outpouring. The manifestations of the spirit begin. They shall prophesy, young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and upon my men servants and on my men servants, I will pour out my spirit upon, upon, upon in those days, and they shall prophesy. So the manifestations of the Holy Spirit comes when the Spirit is poured on you, not when you got saved, when you receive the Spirit within, it's for life. When you receive the Spirit upon, it's power, manifestation of power, signs, and wonders. So Paul, Peter is saying, yes, this is the result of outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So it's important that the Christian is baptized in the Holy Spirit. So with that outpouring on him, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, as God chooses to do through him, will begin to manifest in his life. So how do we distinguish the deceitful manifestations? For all supernatural manifestations are not of God. Number one, the Holy Spirit, if it's him manifesting, will always exalt Jesus Christ as Lord and Christ. And not man, not a group, not a church, or anything else. He came to exalt Jesus, not man, who also was saved like everybody else. First Corinthians 12, 3. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calling Jesus a cost. And no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit, if it's him manifesting, will exalt Jesus. Anywhere you go and Jesus is not being exalted, it's not the main focus. Pack your Bible, get out. Leave them. Jesus is the main focus of the, of the church. Paul said, I preach nothing but Christ crucified. The Holy Spirit came to witness about Jesus, to lift him. He says, Convincing the world of sin, they don't believe in him. He said you need to believe in him. And he's showing the church, that's your life. That's your life. Jesus is your life. Revealing Christ. To, Jesus in him is all the knowledge and wisdom we need. It's all and all. So the Holy Spirit, anything that manifests of the Holy Spirit will exalt Jesus and not a man. Number two, it will not create fear or anything that is not love. For God is love. And and create and you will not create shame or public disgrace for anybody for christ did not come to condemn anybody or to shame us second timothy 1 7 for god had not given us the spirit of fear but power and love and sound mind so you can't be saying i'm giving prophecy you are shaming somebody in public just to bring shame to somebody no no that's not the holy spirit you can't bring fear can't bring fear anything that's not love and sound mind is not the holy spirit and it will exalt the word of God above anything else, if it is the Holy Spirit. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship, I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. If it is the Holy Spirit, it will not contradict the word of God. The word of God will not contradict it. 
the word and the spirit agree. Now, if it's the Holy Spirit, will not create gossiping and hatred. All these prophecies that create gossip group and all this prayer, we are praying for you and all you are doing is exposing somebody's issues and problems. That's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit at all. First John 4, 16. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. All who live in love live in God. All who live in love live in God and God lives in them. If the Holy Spirit is acting, he will not make you a public disgrace. He can't take your issues and be talking to every member of the group. Say, we are praying for you. That's not the Spirit of God. That's flesh. That's, that's bitterness. That's, that's hatred. That's not love. And the Bible says, a man who does not love does not know God. So if it's the Holy Spirit, it will defy. It will love cover it a multitude of sin. Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody, but to save us, help us out. So if it's the Holy Spirit, he's not going to publicly be talking, asking, hey, you did this, did everybody will know you. Ah, they're going to be talking about you. That is not the Spirit of God. That's, the way, that's not the way he works. And if it's the Holy Spirit, he will act in sound mind. He won't be doing testless behavior. Doing things that are totally, obviously not sound. Disorderly behavior. You say, Spirit, take over. Disorderly, you won't prepare your sermon, won't prepare anything. Say, Holy Spirit, take over. That, no, if he takes over, what are you supposed to be doing? He didn't come to take over. He came to help us. He's our helper. He didn't take, take over anything. I understand that sometimes he can start doing things that is beyond us. But he's our helper at the end of the day. So in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God had not given us the spirit of fear, but power and love and sound mind. So we must do things that is of sound mind. The spirit of God does not bring confusion, disorderliness. You know, you are in a church, you set up your own group. Your church is doing this, you are doing that. You say the Holy Spirit. That's the devil. It's the spirit that divides. Jesus said, if you see anything dividing, it's not me. It's not me. But because God works in order. Look, second, 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. There has to be order if it's the Holy Spirit. So if it's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it brings order, it brings edification. There is love. The Bible is, the, the word of God is exalted and Jesus is exalted. Now, next week, we'll continue with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We go into the real manifestations and mention them one by one. Let us pray. Precious Father, we just want to thank you again for sharing this and getting us ready. So we make sure that we, we are growing spiritually. We must understand and be sure we are saved. We must understand what you gave us, eternal life, and grow in it. And we must understand the place of your spirit in, in our lives. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, the spirit upon. So we yield to him. So Lord, we, we can be everything you want us to be in the service of your kingdom, in the service of the Lord. Thank you for what you've taught us again this evening. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.